Six of us Upper Dublin members, two pastors, and Bob and Judy Mosser and Fred Renningar and Bill Irwin are fresh off of a weekend at the Southeastern Pennsylvania Synod Assembly. It is an annual event for pastors and church delegates to come together from all over Southeastern Penn Territory, about five or 600 strong, depending on when you count us. And we meet, ironically, each year in a huge Mennonite church in Franconia Township, right on 113. It's just, we call it the Mennonite Cathedral. And uh, it's kind of ironic, just as a bit of history, in that the Lutheran movement in Martin Luther's day and beyond uh, did a little uh, devilish work against the Mennonites in their day. And so we had to have a reconciliation years later. And it's ironic now that the Mennonites are hosting uh, those who persecuted them. But that's what grace is all about. Our agenda is at that convention to approve initiatives in ministry and in mission locally and uh, across the nation and around the world for the ELCA. We vote on budgets, as you can imagine, and hear reports of new church uh, missions being born, which is exciting, and new pastors entering our synod from Center City to the spacious hills of Schwenksville. And I always come away with a warm feeling, first because I've seen a lot of colleagues, my other pastor buddies I never have time to see, and so we're kibitzing in the hallways and such. But there is a sense of unity As speakers come from the National Church in uh, Chicago to give a message from our Bishop Eaton and other things, it just gives you time to sit back and scan the horizon and see what are we really a part of in the Lutheran tradition and the Christian tradition. There is, uh, despite the varied ethnic groups and cultures, we are all Christ's church. And sometimes you need a large gathering. I know the teenagers sense this when they go to the national ELCA youth gatherings and kids from all over the United States come together, you know, 30,000 of them in one place and take over the city, San Antonio, Detroit last summer, and they do mission projects together. And it is so uh, moving down to your soul to be together as one. Our Tanzanian partnership was represented and highlighted on a video Uh, for the Irenti School for Blind Children, who um, are albinos, many of them, and who uh, get skin cancer as children. And it's a very high percentage in Tanzania. And so the School for the Blind helps those children. And also, uh, we're sending Braille machines from our synod all the way over to the school in Irenti, which is right near Cathedral Church, where we visit. I saw Pastor Moses, I love his name, Moses, Pastor Moses Dennis, who uh, has started the new mission from Liberia, with Liberian Lutherans now, and he, two years ago, invited all of us in Synod to buy those little rubber Ebola bracelets, and many of them were sold here, over a hundred, I think, and the campaign was to wipe out Ebola in Liberia, and uh, we did it together. With cooperation from the Synod and uh, others, we've had uh, another African pastor come from Angola, who was a refugee. He stood behind me. He turned around to shake hands, and the world comes into your face. He had a horribly sad refugee story with his family, but he is now serving a church in Philadelphia, a Lutheran. I wish you could experience this unity of spirit and calling at this convention sometime. I think Jesus would be a happy fly on the wall at that convention. It's not always perfect when we're debating a pretty ugly topic. We don't agree in those places, but This time, it was really, really perfection. And today's gospel from John 
John is praying to his father on behalf of his disciples, who are supposedly listening in. I ask not only on behalf of these disciples right here with me, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's kind of a mouthful for a prayer. But this morning, um, we must wonder, why are we going to this text right now? This gospel takes us back before the crucifixion. I know you all knew that. I just wanted to reiterate that. In a context where Jesus is praying for his disciples uh, before they were, when he was in the garden, uh, before going to the garden of Gethsemane. And, in he, and after he's had the Last Supper and he's going out to the garden to be arrested and taken away from them forever in the same context in which they knew him, he prays this priestly prayer, it's called. And so he would be soon arrested and taken away, beaten, and crucified. So why are we going back to that today? After all, we're in the middle of the Easter season, almost at the end of the Easter season. Well, because what was last Thursday in your liturgical calendars? Come on, I know everybody here is knowing this. Forty days after Easter, oh, Jesus ascends back to God. Yes, that's right. You were all right. He ascends back to God. And that's why the Christ candle is not lit at this time. It was lit here for 40 days. And you didn't see it in between uh, when you weren't here. But anyway, now it's put out, only lit on uh, funerals at the, at the casket. It has a casket or the cremains. And also on baptismal Sunday. The two times when we are united in baptism, death has lost its sting, and then we bring back that resurrection uh, light at a funeral. And so, but on Ascension Day, we uh, extinguish that candle, and uh, in 10 days more, this is a class, you're in Sunday school, you thought you went to worship. 10 days after is 50 days, what's that festival in the church? Pentecost, thank you. We heard from the balcony. Okay, Pentecost, 50 days. That's the birthday of the church. And see, the sun came out on that, and they're shining over here. Because Lutherans know their, their Bible and their scripture. We are, I know that, and we're proud to say so. So um, anyway, in 10 days, when we ask you what day is it, you're going to know already it's Pentecost, and we're going to celebrate that. So at any rate, Jesus now is about to be taken away. And so he's praying for his disciples And in Matthew, when he is ascending, Matthew 28 at the end, Jesus standing on the mountaintop, which is always an image of being close to God, and he says, you know, um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, and of the, and of the Spirit, amen, and uh, teach them everything that I have commanded you, and I will be with you until the end of the age. And he's gone, taken up into the cloud. And so what Jesus is doing here as we go back to this is praying that when he is gone, that the disciples will carry on in his tradition. And some scholars say Jesus' prayer is like a mother's tender prayer for her children. She would wish them to stay in close relationships if she is gone. Caring relationships. Not every family is always an ideal get-along kind of gang. She would wish them to support each other, to forgive any hurtful memories or betrayals and sacrifice for the good of the whole extended family. Isn't this what your mom would wish 
for you? That her children bring a contagious honor and joy on the family name by the example of their caring for each and every one? Scholars refer to Jesus' prayer as having a mothering sentiment for his present disciples and for all who will come after them. He asks God that the love with which you have loved me, righteous Father, may be in them. We heard a guest speaker from the National Church uh, who was coming from uh, California Parish at one time. He's now in Chicago. Pastor Starr. And he shared an amazing story on Friday with us about the oneness of the church family across the miles. You see, his religiously skeptical son in his early 20s was driving across the country with a friend somewhere from California. They were heading to Marshalltown, Iowa. And uh, they were on their way. Of course, parents worry about having young people in cars going across the country. And sure enough, uh, the terrifying phone call came to Pastor Starr and family from the police to inform him his son had been in a car accident. More than anything, he said, I wanted to be with my son, with my child. But that was impossible from California. And so he said, what should I do? I looked into the church family... And I got my Lutheran Church directory phone book out, national. And I looked up whether there would be a Lutheran church in Brush, Colorado. What are the chances? Miraculously, there was one. And so the pastor says, I'm going to, uh, Pastor Starr said, I'm going to call there. He calls the church. The pastor picks up the phone, the first ring, says hello, and he tells him the story of his son. He says, I will go right out on that highway now. I have a a sidebar um, job that I do that uh, really drives up and down the highways to look for people. I mean, what are the chances? And so, see that people are all right. He goes right out there, and um, he says when he finds the son, he will have him call. So the pastor goes out, finds the two boys sitting on the side of the road. Their car was totally demolished. It's a miracle that they survived. But he said, you know, he went and found him, and pretty soon... Uh, The son made a call back to his father, Pastor Starr, in person, at which time he said, Well, Dad, your God showed up. What a church system we have. A family that can extend all around in the midst of such times that God is present and we are one. God's work will be known by the unity and mutual caring we have for brothers and sisters in Christ, near and far, strangers and neighbors. St. Teresa of Avila says it this way, There are only two duties God requires of us, the love of God and the love of neighbor. The more we grow, she says, in the love of our neighbor, the more we grow in the love of God. You see, we live in a global village that feels increasingly angry, divided, broken, with everyone fighting at war or mistrusting any strange culture or any religion different than their own. Our political climate, we know so well at home, is full of rancor and name-calling even within the same parties. Our candidates find dirt on one another as quickly as they can to tear the next one down in the media. Our nation's trustworthiness is suffering with our allies around the world. It appears as if we are all able to survive without anyone else, much less are we praying for each other. 
So here are some wise words. To contemplate by a well-known preacher, it really boils down to this, that all of life is interrelated. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are made to live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. Did you ever stop to think that you can't leave for your job in the morning without being dependent on most of the world? You get up in the morning, you go to the bathroom, and reach over for a sponge. And that's handed to you by a Pacific Islander. You reach for a bar of soap, and that's given to you at the hands of a Frenchman. And then you go into the kitchen to drink your coffee for the morning, and that's poured into your cup by a South American. And maybe you want tea. That's poured into your cup by a Chinese. Or maybe you're desirous of having a cocoa for breakfast, and that's poured into your cup by a West African. And then you reach over for your toast, and that's given to you at the hands of an English-speaking farmer or baker. And before you finish eating breakfast in the morning, you've depended on half of the world. This is our way in our universe, the way our universe is structured. This is its interrelated quality. We aren't going to have peace on earth until we recognize this basic fact of our interrelated structure of all reality. And who do you think preached those words? Martin Luther King Jr. in 1967 in a Christmas sermon on peace. There are only two duties God requires of us. The love of God and the love of neighbor, says Teresa of Avila. So today, Jesus prays a motherly prayer for us all to be one family around the world united, interdependent, giving sacrificially, forgiving each other graciously as he has done for us so that others may see God at work in us, his church, so that our testimony will attract strangers and non-believers and those in need so they see in us God's love at work. Then this church in our society, which is so at risk of shrinking and closing, then it will grow. It is in our hands with God's help. And Jesus is praying for each one of us. What does it feel like to know that Jesus is praying for you? that all may be one. Amen.